You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the wheelhouse. You can see the confidence build day by day, and there is an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from. Starring Jerry Depoto. And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now Chapter 3 is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill Jr. He seems along those lines where he wants to be great and does everything possible to go get it. It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Well, it is that time once again to get to the wheelhouse podcast. It is our first wheelhouse of the regular season in 2022 due to, uh, I would say, a variety of issues, uh, many of which were out of the three of ours controls. Uh, we have not podcasted since spring training, so I'm happy that it can all come together. I will say, too, uh, very candidly, Gary, I think it's fine that I share this. Uh, Jerry, I hope it's okay that I share this. We can always cut it if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we do try on the wheelhouse to time things so that the podcast is regular, but also it's always better to talk with you, Jerry, when things are going well. Things are not going well for the Mariners. We have not talked at all this year. And uh, Gary reached out to you today and said, hey, Jerry, listen, man, we can push this thing off. We can delay it and do it when the sun is out a little brighter. And you said, no, let's do it. Let's podcast. Let's do the wheelhouse. So uh, I thank you for that. We all thank you for that. And it's very honorable of you as well. If you want to have fun when it's going good, then you, then you have to be willing to just talk it through when it's not going good. And, you know, I, I heard somebody, wise, wise man told me just very recently, you know, when it's, when it's going good, you tend to try to drift to the background, have fun, smile, slap people on the back. And when it's going bad, that's really when you start doing your job. And, uh, I'm really working hard right now. <laughs> it's been a, you know, it's been a tough month and, you know, the team has really struggled to perform in, in almost every way. And, uh, and I say that, and there's still so many positive things that are happening with individual players. Uh, we are just having a miserably difficult time getting the big hit, scoring the run from third base when you need to score the run from third base. Those moments when you win games, uh, we're just struggling to, to first identify them and then to execute in those situations. And I said this recently on a, on a radio show, it, we're missing the clutchiness that we had in 2021. And and I think we have a, a better, more complete roster of players, even with the injuries we're, we're, we've experienced. We have a, a better, deeper pitching staff than we had at really any point last year. We're just not performing as well as we did when we were at our very best last year. And, you know, it, it's on us to try to figure out how to to create the right message, turn the right button, and, and, and get back to the things we do well and you can't get beyond this. We can message all we want. We can build good lineups and we can acquire more players. At the end of the day, we need for 26 players to show up and contribute to, to win. And that's what we saw all year last year. And we'll get there. You know, we, we just had a, a, a very difficult month and a young group that I think will overcome. Yeah, but it, it needs to start soon because we dug ourselves a pretty good pit. Worth noting, we are recording this in advance of the Astros series. 
going into Memorial Day weekend. It is strange. We've, we've talked about this on the broadcast, both on TV and on radio, Jerry, because you look at a lot of the individual performers on the team, and there are some guys off to just sensational starts. I mean, all-star worthy starts to a season. And even with a poor month, offensively let's look at that side of the ball for a moment there are still a number of metrics and numbers for the Mariners where you say this is at worst league average right maybe in some ways in the top 10 so when you look at it right now let's stay on the offensive side of things and I know you mentioned some of the clutchiness how do you kind of explain the how polarized it is at times you have guys who are experiencing these tremendous starts this season some team numbers that are in some ways it works okay and yet it does feel like the offense is struggling so mightily at times it really does until you wake up you know and again today is may the 27th as we record this we enter the game i think eighth in major league baseball and weighted runs created plus you know even in the last 30 days while we have struggled madly i mean truly as 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 much as we've struggled in my time at the mariners over 30 game stretch and i know we've had 30 game stretches that are similar in terms of one loss but none that feel this badly because our expectations of this team are so much higher but over the last 30 days we are right at a league average offense we're creating opportunities we take our walks we generally put the ball in play we don't strike out much in comparison to the league around us we have a little bit more power than you think, which was generally how you would look at our ball club anyway. Not a powerhouse, but a team that could manufacture runs because we created traffic and, and we had a little more power than you think. And we're generally doing all those things minus the one big hit that allows you to score the runs. <laughs> and that's the part that's been madly frustrating for this team. And, and I think that's where this began. This slump began for us when we went to Tampa at the end of April and for, I don't know, a six-game stretch, we ran into the Tampa pitching that is always tough. And it was particularly tough then with, you know, Shane McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen, who was as hot as a firecracker at the time. And, and the Rays doing what they do with the bullpen matchups. Is, and expanded oh, bullpens at that point, too. Truly was. And so, so what they were able to do was notable because they're as good as anybody, the best in the world at, at, at creating those matchups and, and strategic plans. We went through a tough stretch there in Tampa. Then we went and caught a smoking hot team in Miami, who at the time had, I think, just coming off five or six straight wins, beating real teams. And we run into, you know, Alcantara and the best version of Jesus Lazardo that we've ever seen. And we are really struggling at that point. And, you know, and then Mitch comes back and you feel like, all right, we're going to get some energy here. And immediately, you know, just just one at bat into his his return uh, from the COVID IL, we, we suffered a, a, the, the high ankle sprain, which is a real and significant injury to, to overcome. And, and immediately he's back out and you felt a little bit of a deflation. But we come back and we win that game, huge game for Julio. All right, let's get some momentum going. And then we come back home, we just fall flat again. And then you saw the pitchers start to do things that our pitchers just don't do. No matter the year that since I've been with the Mariners, we have had very good pitching staffs. We have had middle-of-the-road pitching staffs. The one thing our pitching staffs generally do outside of the 2019 club, we throw strikes. We throw strikes. They hammer the zone. We've not always been the most powerful pitching team in the league, but we manage the strike zone very well, and that gives us a chance. 
this year we have more power than we've ever had. You know, adding guys like Robbie Ray and Andres Munoz and George Kirby and the step forward from Logan Gilbert, a couple other hard throwers that have joined our bullpen. And the thing that we have, have always managed best came off the rails for us when we got back from that Florida road trip. And I think it was as silly and and, and kindergarten-y as this sounds, it's almost like the Bull Durham line when, when Ke- Kevin Costner said, it's an egg, hold it like an egg. You know, when you are tense, when you think when you think you need to do more to help the team achieve something, you tend to grip it a little tighter, hold it a little longer, and all of a sudden, what it what needs to be fine command at the big league level turns into area command and in a league where you know that the the general offense has been a little more silent than in in recent years uh and home runs are down walks are down strikeouts are down uh, we we're doing a lot of good things we're just not keeping the ball in the ballpark on par with what our our, our skill sets or even our needs should be and there is the biggest issue we've had as our offense has started to get going again, and it has. You know, we've done good things offensively, and, and no longer do you feel desperate that, that we're not going to create opportunity. We still need that big clutch hit, but the biggest thing for us has been pitching in bad counts and giving up too many balls that are leaving the ballpark, and, and we won't turn it around until we stop that trend. That's the trend that needs to stop. I'm curious. I think about schedules a lot. I talk about schedules a lot, and – it's funny, I feel like the outside perception is, well, all schedules even out, which they don't always do. It depends on how good your division is, how good your National League, in Mariners' case, how good the National League division is. And at least on paper, I feel like the Mariners have gone through the toughest part of the schedule this season. We'll see how it plays out. And just for comparison's sake, for the conversation, like the Angels and Twins, for example, two of the best teams in the American League, they're both under 500 against teams above 500. And for the Twins, I think they played 11 games. And the Angels have played 15 games. You've played 26 games so far against teams above 500. When you think about and analyze a stretch like this where they struggle, how much of a factor do you look at that? Uh, the opponents you've played, you reference some of the pitchers you've faced. We know you've faced some of the biggest names in baseball, but how much of a factor is that when you analyze things? It definitely comes into play. And I think with the exception of the Baltimore Orioles, who are right there with us in the, in the number of winning teams they've played, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe the Blue Jays, they, they were also high on the list. We've played the toughest schedule to date in the American League, which means to me that at some point, you know, we will we'll see the other the other shoe fall but to your point the teams you know like the twins like the angels they made the most of the scheduling opportunity that they had and you know eventually we will play the teams that they've already played you know i I just hope that we aren't one of those teams you know (laughs) because right now it, it it does feel like like we've played ourselves into that position but the long season has such a way of watching teams evolve. You know, teams that played us in May, and and we will show up on their their schedule, and, and we just watched it. We will by June first, we will have played the Astros twelve times. We've already played nine games versus the Rays. We've done, th- these teams that saw us when we were at our worst. Uh, they're, they won't see the same team when they come back around in, in July or August or, or hopefully in the position where we meet them in October. It's young teams especially tend to get better over the course of the season or teams that are struggling because they're not healthy tend to get healthier over the course of the season. 
and the the risk you run when you dig yourself a hole like we have and, and we have mm-hmm. is that when you play those teams that the that the angels and the twins and the astros made their hay against in the first month and a half of the season you better hope that those teams haven't started to evolve. They got healthier. They their young players got better, because now you're catching them at a different time. Mm-hmm. And you know that's a the baseball season is wonderful in that way. Is that the it's so long and it's such a marathon. And as much as as the, the moment feels desperate because we're in the situation we're in, we still have more than three quarters of our season left, or just about three quarters of our season left. And uh, you know, we've we've roughly played four games of an NFL season, and and it's uh it's we're one in three, <laughs> but, but, but there's still so much game left, and and you know we have to we have to look at the the long haul. We've been here before, we've had multiple of our people in house and even downstairs cite where we were just a year ago this week. You know, almost an identical situation. We we started great for the first 21 games, and then we hit the skids, and we were awful for about a month and then about two weeks later when we were in first place uh, you know I'm not holding my breath that we're going to be in first place because we just we simply dug a bigger hole because the teams around us played better mm-hmm. and you know that's going to be a longer haul the only way we get out of this is just to start chipping away we, we have to focus on today's game the first pitch the second pitch etc one at a time you win today's game now you win tomorrow and and your your goal your long-term goal is chip your way back to 500. You can't think about anything more than that. If you go series by series, week by week, and we're not going to get back in this by going on a 15 and 2 streak. At least you can't think that way. You have to think I'm going 6 and 4 in the next 10. I'm going 5 and 5 in the next 10 and just think in smaller increments. You know, and then went for the players, you have to think even smaller than that. You have to think this at bat, this inning pitch. This it's it has to be that acute. To, to maintain the focus and the intensity that are, that are required to, to to be one of the best teams in the league, and and when you're playing teams like we're playing this weekend, you have to play that way. So, based on some of the things that you said offensively, is is it a fair point to summarize briefly that your belief right now that the the biggest struggle with the offense is the big hit, the big hit? Okay, there's no question in my mind. Yeah. So this this is what makes baseball so beautiful and so maddening because. Like, Jared DeHart can't go to you name the player and say, hey, we're going to talk today about how to get the big hit. <laughs> so how do you do that? Because you can't just go out and do that. This is It's like a maddening thing to try to explain to somebody. So try to explain it to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it, you know, it's the hardest thing to do is coach a result. It's very hard to coach a result. Hey, go get a hit. Come on, Jimmy. <laughs> it's, it's not that easy. You know, my son plays. I talk to him frequently. I try not to talk to him about outcomes. I talk to him about processes, things that he can control. You know, attack the strike zone. Strike one. It's such a difficult game because the failure can overwhelm you in time. You know, in, in a game, I, I'll say this, in a game where the best hitters succeed, how much? Well, at best, they're succeeding a third of the time. At and, and, and it, which I would ordinarily say yeah. now it's about 25 percent right. of the time. It's... You know, we, we we adjust our sights, right? But the, the way you the way you coach it is we have this is as good a contact oriented team as we have had here in, in many years. We put the ball in play. We have a number of players who have a skill set that that is 
conducive to putting the ball in play. When you get into situations like we're in, where it's just very hard to find that big hit, and, and I'm going to say we have a couple of guys that do an extraordinary job. Most notably, Ty France has done a fabulous job in those moments of just coming up with that the big hit when you need it. And, you know, and that's what your best players do. They step up in those moments. The rest of us, we have to find a way to manufacture. And when you make as much contact as we make, you know, you can manufacture. You do the little thing. You get them over. You get them in. You can score a run in this league. We tend to walk more than most teams, you know, and, and, and we have contact-oriented hitters. You can score a run in this league without getting a hit if you just have a mentality that you're going to manufacture. And while we're slumping or while this is happening the way it's happening, I think that needs to be your mindset. You know, it's a when you come up and you're in those situations and you know it's not going good for you. And players know. You know they know. They, when they wake up in the morning, they know. And when they look in the mirror, they know. And, and when you come up in the batter's box in those moments and you just know it's not right for you, you can sit there and you can wail away and you can pop another ball up on the infield or you can say, I'm getting the runner to second base. And then your mentality shifts. You spread your stance out a little bit. You flatten your bat path. You just put the, and you put the ball in play in a, in a direction that allows that to happen. You got the runner on third base with less than two outs. You don't go up there and worry about executing your swing. And this is something I got, I'll give Edgar a ton of credit. No one was better at this than Edgar Martinez. When that guy's out there, he's on second, third base, less than two outs. What's he thinking? Hit the ball in the air to the big part of the field. And when you do that, you're going to drive in a ton of runs. And then it starts to flow. And then confidence happens. And when confidence happens, coaches drift to the back. They no longer need to be the, a, a prominent voice. The player starts to take care of it because these are the best players in the world. And once they're confident and they're rolling, they take care of it themselves. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Player coach Ty France? Do we... <laughs> we think about. Do we just give Ty a whiteboard for ten minutes every day? There's, a, I mean, and it's, it's, it's what he's doing this year is incredible. He's been awesome, and and really, it's been since day one, and and for the most part, it's been throughout his time with the Mariners. He's he's just been terrific, and and he tends to come through when those game situations are are at their most significant. He comes through, and his bat is always in the strike zone, just like Edgar in that way. If you are the pitcher and you're trying to stop the, the flow in that inning and just cut the inning off, when you see a Ty France or an Edgar Martinez or Moises Alou, you know, the guys whose bats just stayed in the strike zone for as long as theirs do, it's, it's, they're a real pain in the neck, and they tend to make crooked numbers happen in innings. And it's so interesting, even during the course of a series, to watch how a team tries to attack Ty France, and you can see them try different ways to do it. It's hard because, you know, if you attack him on the outside, his line drives the other way, he'll pull a ball. I mean, it just seems impossible to pitch to right now. One of the, the fun elements of Ty is that you can get him out in, in those big situations, but it's almost always going to be if he gets up there and, and he attacks the first pitch and just puts the ball in play. If he fouls that ball off, if that at bat or that pitcher's at bat requires him to throw three strikes – 
Ty is winning that at bat almost every time right now. He makes so many good adjustments during the course of an at bat. Like any other hitter, he's going to go up there and he's going to ground out or pop up with if with that first pitch. But when he sees more than one pitch and they start trying to, you know, take him off the plate over the zone, it, it's the bat is in there so long that he's just able to do things. And sometimes it's hitting a rocket in, in the left center in Toronto, and sometimes it's just inside outing a ball to right field to drive in a huge run like we saw against Oakland. It's That's the benefit of being able to wait so long to trigger your swing. And and when you do, you, you can kind of keep the bat in the zone the way Ty does. By WRC Plus at the time of this recording, Ty France is 10th in baseball. He's a 171, meaning he's... 71% better than league average. I was curious. We were talking on the air about this the other day, Jerry. When does a player performing at a premier level become considered a premier player? Because you look at the names that are accompanying Ty right now in the top 10, it's everybody that you expect, and it's everybody that's going to be in Los Angeles for the All-Star Game this year. It's Trout, it's Judge, it's Ramirez, Machado, Devers, Betts. I mean, this is the class. And Ty France. We know him very well. Those in the AL West know him very well. I feel like most American League managers certainly know him very well. But to the to the mass baseball fan populace, Ty France, I feel like, is still very much below the fold. Is it just take one monster season like this, what Ty is putting up? This is a tough pace to sustain, certainly. But he's showing us no reason to think he cannot. What do you think it takes? I think the world's starting to notice. And, you know, that, that first homestand when he was the, the American League Player of the Week mm -hmm. and he got a lot of play nationally, it's not a secret that Ty's good. And the other players in the league know how good he is. And if you look over time, I, I think since, you know, since opening day of 2021, if you just go look at the 20 most valuable players by war value in the American League, Ty's name shows up. And it shows up fairly prominently. And as Aaron said, with where he lies today and weighted runs created plus, he winds up around names in, in the in the league where you're like, huh, you know? <laughs> and when you sort it, when you sort it and you see, all right, the most valuable first baseman, you know, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Ty France, and Freddie Freeman. <laughs> yeah. He has been that player. And uh, he does it in a slightly different way than they do it. And I think Ty is just a winning player. And until we show up, on the big stage as a winning team, players like Ty typically aren't appreciated until the world sees them in that environment, you know, is the best way I can put it. So yeah, he can continue to be great. And, and I do think he's recognized certainly in our market and definitely by our opponents. They all know how good Ty is. The average fan may not identify with him, and that's not going to change until our team changes that for Ty. By the way, looking that up as you... Uh, you basically said, Aaron, you should look this up. <laughs> <laughs> Since the start of last year in the American League, in terms of Fangraph's version of war, F4, France 19th, J.P. Crawford, Crawford 20th, which is kind of fun. I think it's kind of fun. I think it's very fun. <laughs> you know, if you look, if you just look over a calendar year with J.P., yeah, JP's rocking a, a WRC plus about 115 for, you know, where he's also second in the league and defensive run saved and ranks among the top four or five shortstops in baseball in almost every meaningful category. He very quietly became one of the, the better shortstops in the league. And he runs hot and he runs cold offensively. 
But the things that he does, the little things that he does to help you win games, it's very hard to do all of the things he does. I think when he gets in his good streaks, he tends to be a driver in our lineup. And that's a really remarkable thing because most of the time that that has happened, he's been hitting somewhere six, seven, eight in your lineup. And it just starts to drive you, you know? And I think a very impressive combination of skills and, and he's been hugely valuable to us, which is obviously showing up in his war. And, and even this season, you know, we have such an unusual team in mm-hmm. that JP and Ty France and, and Gino Suarez and Julio Rodriguez and Adam Frazier, you know, all five of these guys are on pace for three and a half, four win seasons, and we're still in the position we're in. I dare you to go out and find a last place team in, in any given year that's got five regulars who are posting three and a half, four win seasons. And, you know, and we've got Logan Gilbert, who's on a similar pace as a starting pitcher. And, and, and uh, it's, it's, we will solve this. There's too many positive things happening with our team that the negative outcomes should overwhelm us the way they have for these last 30 days. Yeah, speaking of Julio, he has been so impressive. He's been tremendous in center field. We've seen him on the base pass. And when I think about what he has done offensively this year, I like to think about him in context of other rookies in Major League Baseball. And when you look at the slash line of rookies as a whole this year, as you can imagine, it's not very good. Hitting is really hard right now, and it's especially hard for young players. But when I think about his rookie status, his age especially, everything he is doing right now in the field I think has been incredible. What has been your view of Julio so far this year? Uh, not shockingly, I think he's awesome. Yeah. And most impressive has been the way he's carried himself throughout. He struggled mightily for those first two weeks. He had a lot of really unfortunate ball strike calls that truly would have melted down a lesser person, you know, or a weaker mind. And I now I look back on it, and, and you, I love how resilient he is. I love the way, you know, you will see it in his face. You guys get to watch him every day, and a pitcher might get him, might punch him out on a slider down and away, fastball up and in, you know, a sinker running down at his feet. And then Julio will strike out. He will then look at the pitcher with a wry look on his face and, and give it one of these. <laughs> Nod his head, purse his lips, like, I'm getting you next time. And then he does. He comes up and he makes the adjustment and he gets you next time. And he has what great players have. He has the ability to move past the last failure and focus on the next success. He's the second youngest player in baseball. He he proved to be a pretty quick study. You know, over the last 125-ish plate appearances, he has been awesome. Hitting for a high average, getting on base. We're starting to see the power manifest. He's played an excellent center field. He's one of the half dozen fastest players in baseball. He leads all of baseball in stolen bases. I mean, so many superlatives that we could throw at him. And he's doing it all at an age where if we sent Julio back to AAA, back to AA, back to A ball, or back to the Peoria complex, he would still be one of the youngest players at at, at those levels which is unbelievable to think about. And many nights that we play, he's one of the best players on the field. And, and my guess is that's not going to change over the next couple of decades. We were discussing it when Adley Rushman just recently made his Major League debut. I believe he's 24. Mm-hmm. I mean, and Julio's 21. It's incredible. Now they're debuting in the same year, but Julio is posting above average well above average in some cases, major league numbers, breaking an opening day roster, never playing in AAA, 
and to see where he came from in April to where he is now. And the fact that uh, it's hard to think of a 21-year-old who feels like, I'm curious your thoughts on this, feels like the pulse of the team. I mean, he and maybe it's just because he does have such emotion, such positive emotion to him. Uh, but to have a guy with that little experience be a driver and be the heartbeat is almost almost unprecedented. Almost, even in an era where there are young stars all across baseball, this is such a rare thing that we're seeing. He plays with joy. You know, he, he does, and it comes off genuine. I think his teammates appreciate it. We, we've talked about this for years about Julio as he's come through the minor leagues. Has always been a hard worker, has always been a very popular and supportive teammate. He cares about the outcomes for every one of those guys down there as much as he cares about his own. And he gets up there, and he's not afraid of the failure. He's not afraid to succeed, and he's not afraid to show you that he loves to play. I find it refreshing, and believe me, it's a, these last 30 days have been very hard on all of us. You know, I find it refreshing that Julio can turn a routine flyout into center field into a moment where he can just go, oh, that's, he lightened the load for everybody. And, and you need players like that. And I, I, there are very few, in, in really in the history of the game, that just play with that kind of vibrance, and you see it all the time, and it's fun. And the opposing team doesn't get you know, angry about it because they see how genuine it is. And I, I, I find him to be a remarkable young player to watch. And there's really no telling yeah. how good he can be. It's, it's, That's he's the thing. so talented. Yeah, that is you, the thing. You, like you're going to, no matter what happens over the course of this season, you're going to go into the winter and you'll have no idea what his ceiling is. I do know this. It's big. <laughs> <laughs> it's big. It's uh, it's something like we've never seen, or I shouldn't say never, we have not seen for quite some time. And as we tell everyone who interacts with us and wants, of course, to know about Julio, all we can say is everything that you say, that you see and you read and you hear, it's it's all true. Like, that's the thing. It's all true. This It sounds like a lot of uh, of executive talk or manager speak or whatever, but it's, it's the honest-to-goodness truth with Julio, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, I, I know it's a, generally speaking, I tend to be very positive. I talk a lot. I see the world through a positive lens in, in almost every case. I like to be balanced, but I'm going to be, there's, I tend to lean toward the, the optimistic. And I have talked since Julio was 16 about the uh, singing his praises and it's genuine. You know, it's that you can't help, but the, I can talk about player skills. I can talk about what we see in their growth, what we think they're going to become. And if we get 10 players and we think they're all going to be stars, they're not all going to hit. You know, they're not all going to hit. And you may, if you hit on half of them, you just, you came out with a wonderful, you know, conclusion. If 10 of them hit, you will be the first team like you. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. But, it, but in Julio's case, the, the one thing you never had to worry about was that in some way he was going to wind up being a key ingredient on good teams because of how he did it, what he does, and the way he approaches the game. His personality is such. His work, you guys have been around him. His, his personality is equaled by his work ethic, which you can see in the way he plays center field and runs. There's a think about what what this kid's been doing for the last couple of years. 2020 didn't play at all, you know, roughly. He had a he had a, a broken wrist, didn't play five games in the in the alt site. That was his season. Comes back last year, spends his time in, as a corner outfielder, 
shifting between A ball, double A, and the the Dominican Olympic team, you know, and, and never one day coming in and saying I'm the center fielder. And then when he saw an opportunity present itself, he took it upon himself to just go learn how to do it and make himself better at it. And he didn't just make himself better, he made himself awesome at it, which is a, it's a tribute to his skill set and his work ethic because you don't do that accidentally. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your boy and ours, friend of the podcast, Jesse Smith. He loves when he t- when we say his title, so I'll see. Just I just like it. when you say my boy, my yeah. boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah Jesse, Jesse. Jesse was in here, director, director of Ana- senior director of analytics. He li- the senior part is what he likes yeah. when we say it. That's right. He just was staring off into the ether in our booth like a, two weeks ago, and just shaking his head back and forth, and just said, "I still can't believe we didn't know how fast he was." <laughs> I mean, like he really. I mean, it really like it was this big error on the analytic nerds that they didn't realize it. But the the thing is, he wasn't that fast. <laughs> don't There's defend. A, don't defend Jesse. Don't yeah, defend it's him. a the the you know Julio went home during the the off season into the lockout, and as he came to spring training, you know he worked to his credit. He and his representatives at Octagon, they. He found himself a strength coach and a speed coach and just worked on recreating. When he walked in to spring training, the different look to his body, it just it was longer. He looked like a sprinter, you know, it's a by by comparison. And, you know, he went and and focused on nutrition, on preparation, on what he was doing in the weight room and what he was doing in speed drills. I, I honestly, most players, once they get to this level, don't really do. They don't do those things. You know, their skill sets are their skills, and they're not trying to add new skills. They're just trying to maintain or refine the actual skill they have. He went home, and to, to the point earlier, he's 21 years old. Actually, at the time, he was 20 years old. His skills weren't fully developed yet, and that's something we don't give credit to because he was flying through the system he went and made himself a better runner who throws better and is a better center fielder, which is is not shocking that a 20-year-old would do that. It's just that he started at such a high level to begin with that he went from better to, in some cases, elite-level you know, impact in these spaces. I think we should put Aaron on the same speed program. Oh, I would love to And I don't know if I want the nutrition program, though. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could handle that for a full winter. That would be, it's, I just don't know if I'd enjoy my life very well. But I may, I'll ask Julio what he was eating. You know, maybe was clearly a low-carb, good fats, high-protein. I know he's he, – I mean, he is lean. He is, it's, man. Uh, yeah, very lean. It's lean. He, like, muscle. he looks like he's playing the wrong sport. He looks fabulous. When we signed Julio – he was a center fielder when we signed him. The physical growth, the, the 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 potential to grow into a big, strong man was likely to push him to a corner, and it was trending that way. And he just stopped the trend and reversed it. And uh, it's an incredible discipline and work ethic. Nah, he's been he a, hits the ball so hard. Ball so we haven't hard. talked about that aspect yet. But it's like Nelly Cruz hard. It I mean, really is. When, when you look at 
how often he hits it hard, too, the percentage. I mean, it's with the elite in baseball already. He's in the top 25, and it's just he is going to hit some absolute massive home runs in his career, and I can't wait to see him. I mean, like, well, I'm, I'm about to go down a 40-40 path, and I'm just going to tap the brakes yeah. on that because that's a little – I mean, that's – I've been down the 30 and 30 path. Did I share this story with you? No. No, because, I don't think yeah, so. because we haven't done a podcast. Yeah. Uh, so, Julio, I'm sitting with Julio. It's it's spring training. The, this is, I don't know, the first week that the players reported. And, you know, we're out on field one, and his group is, is getting ready to, to take BP. He's going to be in the second wave of players in. And, and I'm sitting on the bench just eating some sunflower seeds, chatting with some players. And and Julio comes and sits down next to me, and he's got an awesome bat, like this black mat with aqua-colored J-rods all over the bat. And, you know, so I, I grabbed his bat, and I said, I said, what, what's going on with your bat? And he said, they made it just for me. And uh, and I said, it's nice. He said, yeah, I'm just going to use it for BP. You know, it's just going to be my BP bat, but it's, uh, you know, pretty cool, pretty cool. He said, you know what I thrive on, Jerry? He just, he riffed into this. You know what I thrive on, Jerry? I thrive when people think I can't do something. Do you think I can play center field? <laughs> I said, unfortunately, I, I, for you, I, I do. I think you can play center field. Because I'd just been watching him for the previous four or five days, and I watched video uh, from his winter. I thought, this is amazing. He, he looks like a center fielder. I said, I do. I believe you can do it. And I've seen you overcome. He said, ah, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You know, he said, we'll, he said, we'll have this conversation again, but I'm doing it. And then I shook his head, I, you know, I shook, shook my, my head and I patted him on the back. So that's great. I said, you know what I don't think you can do? I don't think you can do 30, 30, you know? And, uh, you know, it's, I also don't think you could go out and, and win a triple crown. And he grabbed the bat and he looked up, he looked up at the, the top of the bat, looks back at me and he goes, it's on. <laughs> And he gets up and walks away. And, and, and uh, you know, right now you're watching him. Mm -hmm. And we, we know for certain that we're seeing a huge step forward in, in the impact on the bases. And I think we've just seen him scratch the surface of the power potential because of how hard he hits the ball. He's just learning how to elevate it. And he was not, you know, he hit in, in his thousand-ish, you know, it wasn't even a thousand, but somewhere short of a thousand plate appearances in the minor leagues, hit about 30 home runs, you know, something thereabouts. He spent his time being a good hitter. He's about a 330 hitter, you know, through that same time. He just, he was a good hitter who got on base and hit homers. His power potential is is enormous, and, and he's not yet even scratched the surface of it, but I think we're starting to see when he identifies the pitch that he can attack and lift, it goes far, <laughs> and, and, and he's only just starting. He's a kid. Well, in two of his last three homers, the one at Fenway and then the pulled shot here, he didn't even get half of them. I mean, he didn't even tag them, and they're gone. He's that strong. And when, yeah. Yeah, when you can, I don't want to say miss hit a ball, but when you can not square it up and still park it over the fence, I mean, that's a pretty rare company even at this level. And it's funny because in scouting circles, and we'll always talk about this, as we're projecting, you know, what players will become through player development, you know, even when we're scouting college or high school players, history or, or, or our histories tell us that players don't really reach their full strength, you know, like the, the, we call it the man strength when they get to be 24-ish years old. 
still three years away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, what is that going to look like? I don't know what that might look like. Or maybe he is just one of the very unique souls that, that uh, as a 21-year-old, he's already in, in, in kind of the, in max mode. But I certainly don't think so. Well, we're all thankful he's in a Mariners uniform. Jerry, uh, we we trust this will be the last last place podcast we do this year. We appreciate you hopping on with us. It has been a struggle, but there have been a lot of really positive storylines as well. I feel like we've documented uh, numerous cases in, in this in this episode, and Julio, of course, is near the very top of that list. We, we appreciate the time, as always, man. You got it. We'll pull out of it. That's it. We always do. And I will quote my, my favorite philosopher and rocker, John Lennon, <laughs> who once said, you know, in the end, it'll all be okay. If it's not okay, it's probably not the end. <laughs> <laughs> very nicely said.